We're pleased now to be joined by Tennessee radio legend Tony Basilio, host of The Tony Basilio Show, which can be heard daily on WJBE 99.7 FM and 1040 AM weekdays from 11 AM to 1 PM Eastern Time. And don't forget to check out TonyBasilio.com. Tony, thanks so much for joining the show. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, Mike, I love it, man. It's so great to visit with you. And don't go calling me a legend. You're making me feel old. But I'll tell you this. I really admire and appreciate the work that you do because you do a fantastic job. And uh, I tell everybody that you are an absolute must-follow on Twitter. And anytime I've had you on my show, you deliver the goods. So I hope I can uh, return the favor. Absolutely. Well, let's just get right into it. And, you know, before we, you know, talk about the 2020 season, I just want to get your thoughts looking back to 2019, Tennessee's great run, finished the season on a 6-0 run, won seven of the last eight. Are you a believer that Jeremy Pruitt's program has turned the corner, or are you one of these still on the wait and see, given that, uh, you know, the teams Tennessee beat at the end of the year, not the best teams in the SEC, but... Hell, I mean, it's it's hard to win six straight in, at any level of college football, I think. Jeremy Proach showed me a lot, and, uh, you know, his team really played with a lot of heart. When you're one and four, and you've lost to Georgia State and BYU and really look bad doing it, last year Tennessee had an opportunity. They were either going to fold or not when they played Mississippi State. And as it turns out, that was a doorway game. Tennessee season was never the same nor was Mississippi State's. Um, I remember going on a couple shows in Alabama and people asking me if Jeremy Pruitt will be available by the end of November to come back and be Alabama's defensive coordinator. And here we are one off season later. And yesterday the word comes down that Craig Fitzgerald, Tennessee strength and conditioning coach, rebuffed overtures from Alabama who wanted him to, uh, go down there and be their guy. So, you know, it's just interesting. Um, I give, uh, I give Jeremy Pruitt and that coaching staff a lot of credit for what they did last year. The trick this season is not to have the same kind of start to this year that they had last year and thus give yourself to have a chance to have a pretty good year, which, you know, if you look at Tennessee and where they are, uh, this is a ball club, depending on how you count returning starters and this and that. But, I mean, the number, I'd say is probably 16 starters. Some say 18 returning starters. That's a lot of returning starters, Mike. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you hit on that Craig Fitzgerald because I was going to ask you about that. that yeah. is, that's huge for Tennessee. And I just wanted to get your thoughts also because if you look at Nick Saban, um, I don't know how – closely you follow that program but hell they hired a guy from indiana he's got three years experience at the major college football level he was at high school before that Uh, he's never never adequately replaced jeremy pruitt there's just turnover after turnover is this i know tennessee hasn't beaten them on the field yet but i really thought jeremy pruitt out coached nick saban in that game last year obviously alabama had the better team and won the game but you look at that game ed orgeron out coached nick saban gus malzahn outcoached Nick Saban in the Iron Bowl. Is, yes. Do you think this is this is really just – we've already seen the beginning of the end of the Alabama dynasty here? Boy, I've said that so many times with him and the fella at New England. <laughs> I tell you, Mike, I, I'll believe that when I say it. I, I've learned just not to shovel dirt. 
on Nick Saban's grave because he he keeps getting out of the uh, out of the freaking casket like it's the Undertaker at a pay per view. And so, with that in mind, I just look at this season. You know, you go back to last year because Tennessee gets them in their building this year, which could be could be very interesting by the time that game occurs, depending on the start the balls have. Mm-hmm. Last season. Tennessee knocks two out of that game, an injury he's just now gotten basically cleared from because he was, you know, he was pretty much uh, hurt, even though they, they tried to go with him. But, you know, he just wasn't the same after that. Um, so the, they, they injure him, which was the beginning of the end for him last year in college football. And then um, if Jared Garantano handles that game well down the stretch and doesn't do the uh, Statue of Liberty play when he's supposed to be doing a goal line stand, or, or rather uh, uh, running a goal goal line offense. He does a Statue of Liberty, puts the ball straight up in the air. I have no idea what he was doing on his quarterback sneak, but if Tennessee gets competent quarterback play there, they might have won that game. Mm-hmm. Wait, I mean, think about that. That's kind of remarkable to say that, because that looked like a game when it started that the Vols were going to get beat something like 42 to 14. Uh, which leads me to this. College football is beautiful, and you know this, especially Southeastern Conference football, because you really never know what's going to happen. I just know this. I'm not going to shovel dirt on Alabama, but I will say this about Saban. I think Saban's fallen into this uh, trap because he has so many media people that kiss his ass and they constantly do it that I think he believes that. You know, when I hear him talk, I don't hear him blame himself. I hear him blame this guy, or I hear him blame that coach, or I hear him blame this kid that wasn't ready, or that kid. I, you don't hear him say much. Hey, you know what? That was my fault. It's interesting, isn't it? It is, and you know, you also hit on the most interesting topic. I know you're getting it left and right because that's how I'm getting it. The quarterback battle there, Tennessee's camp, Jarrett Garantano. The fans are going crazy. We saw the Alex Myers videos. I think it's got damn near 50,000 views of uh, Harrison, Harrison, Harrison Bailey throwing a slant against no defense. So, I mean, Vol Nation is, they're ready to turn the keys over to Harrison Bailey. Who do you have starting at quarterback? Just a prediction when the season starts uh, in 2020. Coaches are risk averse. Garantano, this whole time he's been here, has been a very good practice player. Uh, he just gets the games and he can't do it, but he's very good in practice. That will continue. Uh, I think that he'll, when Tennessee goes, starts the season, he'll be the quarterback for Charlotte. He'll be the quarterback at Oklahoma. He'll be the quarterback probably in the uh, end of the end of the uh, month in the Florida game. The question is, who's the quarterback when October rolls around? Does he keep the job? Uh, by that time, is Bailey ready to assume the role? Um, is it going to be Hill? Are the other two kids going to be here uh, that are vying for the job? Can Jimmy Holiday uh, sneak in and grab some reps? Because he's a really tremendous athlete, I hear from people I respect. They say that his athletic ability jumps off the page. It's going to be very interesting how that thing plays out. I call Garantano, and I'm terrible for doing this, but I've called him Club Gitmo because his name is kind of like Guantanamo down there, Cuba. And it's torture sometimes watching him play quarterback. He just And he tortures our fan base, poor kid. I feel sorry for him. 
because by all accounts, he's a, he's a nice young man. And he's, you know, he, he, he's tough as he wants to be. Can't knock him out of games. Um, but in the moment, he's just not, he's just not very good. And so you would think that Harrison Bailey, somebody this year is going to get an opportunity or figures to get an opportunity. But then again, you know, Tennessee's hired uh, this Chip Long who comes over from uh, Notre Dame, and he's in an advisory role for them. You know, one of these, uh, one of these guys that's not, quote, unquote, uh, an assistant coach, but yet he's there in an advisory role. And the thought is that he's going to work with the quarterback some. He did a great job last year at Notre Dame with Ian Book, bringing him along. And the thought is that he's going to be able to uh, make an impact. So I guess we'll, we'll see if that comes to pass. How about this? I've, I've not heard this storyline really touched on a lot in Knoxville. Uh-huh. Jim Chaney, Derek Ansley, both returning at the coordinator positions for their second year on Rocky Top. Is that something that's being overlooked? And not only for Garantano, who's never had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row, but that, that entire Tennessee offense has never had that. So, I mean, is that, is that something that could play a factor in 2020 and Tennessee having some success? Well, I think you're exactly right. I think you saw that last year. You know, just some adult supervision to slow the bleeding uh, when it came last year. You know, I shudder to think what would have happened if uh, the fellow that I call What the Helton, uh, who did a nice job at Western Kentucky, by the way, as their head coach, but if, if Helton would have uh, stayed as Tennessee's offensive coordinator last year when they had that poor start, I mean, the problem with him was, just talking to people, internally when things started to slip, there just wasn't a lot of, of body of work there to draw from. Whereas Cheney, it's like, okay, we'll make a switch here. We'll switch it up to Maurer. You know, when they switched it up to Maurer, who couldn't, who was integral in winning that Mississippi State game that I referenced earlier, which really helped Tennessee get back on the right footing, Maurer played a vital role last year in keeping the wheels on Tennessee is, uh, and letting uh, Garantano get back in there. But, you know, Garantano came back kind of a different quarterback. He wasn't great. He was okay. He certainly wasn't bad like he was when he started the season. Um, and so, yeah, I think the stability is going to help, and I think this long guy is going to help. Um, but I think you bring up a great point. On both sides of the line of scrimmage, if there's, if there's one hallmark we've seen here during the lost years at Tennessee, the lost decade, it is complete instability just across the board. Mm-hmm. And instability from the coordinators, you know, um, when Dooley was here, there was instability. When Butch Jones here, there was complete instability. And one thing that Pruitt's done, you know, Pruitt, people judge Pruitt by the way he talks, and they think he's kind of, um, you know, um, Forrest Gumpy. And there <laughs> is a little bit of that with him, which, I, th- which I, kind, I find kind of endearing. Don't let him fool you, though. That's a pretty bright football coach who's made a lot of sound decisions within his football program. Now, assuming Cade Mays is eligible, and I know that's maybe a dangerous assumption to make, yes. but if Cade Mays is eligible, when is the last time Tennessee had an offensive line going into the year that was this good, in your opinion? I would have to go back to the team that made it to the SEC championship game. I, I, uh, that would be 2007. Mm-hmm. So I would say that's a while. And, if you know, you think about 
Tennessee's offensive line this year, if if they can get Mays eligible, uh, they're going to be a top four, top three, top four offensive line in the Southeastern Conference, and it's been forever since we've had those kind of conversations. And the truth is, when you have that kind of offensive line, you can start thinking about beating people that can play rather than, as you said, beating the teams at the bottom part of your schedule that can't play. You can start thinking about going to an Oklahoma, taking the air out of the ball, slowing down their great offense and beating them. Um, maybe getting Georgia uh, and extending them in a game, you know, to a point where you, you – that's the thing that a great offensive line does, and you've seen that in this league. We saw that with LSU last year. Mm-hmm. Look, when I'm able to control the football – well, obviously, LSU is not a really good example because they were so good offensively with their skill people and Burrow in the year that he had. But, you know, just the concept of shortening games, because truly, Tennessee, if they have an Achilles heel, it's in their linebacking core and it's somewhat in their defensive line. And, you know, you can mitigate those things with, with very good offensive line play. So what is your conference level in this receiver core next year, considering Juwan Jennings, Marquez Callaway are gone? And you're never going to hear me say anything bad about either one of those guys, in particular Juwan Jennings, one of my favorite Tennessee Vols of all time. But neither one of them ever had a 1,000-yard season. So let's not make it out that they're losing two of the best players of all time here. And do you have any insight on D'Angelo Gibbs and the impact he could make for Tennessee next season? Gibbs, uh, in the first practice yesterday in spring ball, worked out with the wide receivers. They love, love his mentality, his toughness. They think he's going to be a real contributor. A couple of the um, signees are going to get an opportunity to play right away. They like Keaton. Brandon Johnson's a guy that redshirted last year with the thought that he would come back this year and be able to contribute and play. Um, I will say, to your point on those wide receivers, it's hard to have breakout numbers when Jared Garantano is your quarterback. And here's what I mean. Mm -hmm. He just didn't throw and doesn't throw a deep ball well. And when you can't take the top off a defense, and and those guys at times – ran routes and were open and he couldn't get balls to him. If you go back and you look at the catches, a lot of the big catches Jennings made during his time with Garantano, he had the high point balls and just come down with 50, 50 balls. And I'm not diminishing, you know, Garantano's ability because I think he throws an intermediate slant route as well as anybody in college football. But for some reason, for some reason, he really struggles trying to get the long ball to connect on the long ball. He throws balls out of bounds. He throws balls short. You know, in in college football, you've got to be able to take the top off of defenses. You just do. All right, so we know, obviously, it's Jeremy Pruitt's system and his defense. And I thought Derek Ansley, you know, I, I thought that was kind of a move they were making more for recruiting, but I think he turned out his first year to be an outstanding defensive coordinator. But those are the only two defensive coaches that are returning from their side of the ball heading into 2020. Any concern with you, given the fact that defense made such strides last year that every position coach on that defense has been changed over this offseason? 
I think it's more about personnel than it is the coaches. They were so unhappy with the recruiting on the defensive side of the football, and that's why they that's why they made changes ultimately. Uh, and quite frankly, I mean, you had a guy that was in Jeremy Pruitt's wedding who just mailed it in on the defensive side of of, of the uh, of the equation. And Pruitt showed me something. You know, he went to a guy that was in his wedding, and he said, "Hey, look, um, it ain't working out." And he's in pro football now. Uh, and then you had another guy in, in Tracy Rocker, who's a big name guy didn't want to recruit mm-hmm. and he's over at South Carolina. Tracy Rocker's a guy Tennessee will miss because he did a really nice job as a tactician developing his defensive line. The, to me, the biggest need for the Vols, uh, on defense is their, uh, inside linebacker. And you got Crouch, who they're counting on, but he's sidelined for the spring. See, he had a, I think he had a, like a shoulder surgery. Yeah, he had shoulder surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry T. Uh, is going to be their leader, true sophomore. Yesterday, you had um, Salon Page out there, who's played spotty. You've had a, you had a converted defensive back, uh, Aaron Beasley. Somewhere in there is J.J. Peterson, who I was told yesterday was running behind a walk-on. And that's a former five-star recruit, which, you know, just goes to show you in that recruiting game, uh, it's a box of chocolates. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can come up with some numbers at linebacker, enough numbers to be effective. Well, you may have already answered this question, but I was going to ask you about J.J. Peterson. Is this the year the light comes on for him, or is it? you think they're throwing in the towel on that? You know, I don't think they're throwing in the towel. I mean, you never want to throw the, in the towel on anybody, but I think if you're him and you walk out there for your first workout in your third spring on campus, and you're behind a walk-on, you tell me what that would say to you. That would say to me, either I'm going to work hard at this and prove myself, or I'm, I might go need to find another place to play. I mean, that's just, that's got to be very, I don't know if it's disheartening for him, but I would think it would be disheartening. Well, one player you didn't mention there with the linebacking core, and he's not even on the team at this point, Jeremy Banks. Do you think there's a possibility he is on this team come the fall? And uh, does he potentially play a factor? Any information on the latest with Jeremy Banks? Well, I love you asking me that because they've been real hush-hush on that. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the social media age we live in. You probably know this because – you monitor the league unlike any other. You're like the guardian on on uh, social media. <laughs> if something happens, you know about it before anybody else. But Banks put a tweet out saying that he was really blessed and pleased that he was coming back. And then Pruitt went out and knocked that down. Tennessee went out and knocked that down. Here's what I understand. Behind the scenes after the both incidents happened with Jeremy Banks last year, they essentially sat down with him. Philip Fulmer and the head coach sat down together. Look, this guy is too good. We don't want to throw him away. We're trying to compete in this league. Plus, he's not a bad kid. 
though, though, the, though the video looked bad. He's just a kid that comes from a rough area, and he's not the first one. But he's just an emotional young man that needs some guidance. So basically what they did is, and I feel pretty confident this occurred, they set up a plan for him, and they said, Jeremy, if you'll meet these criteria, stay, keep, keep the car in the middle of the road, show us in good faith that you want to be here, we'll go to bat for you. Well, Jeremy did basically everything that they wanted him to do to that point. He assumed he was back, but they still have to work it at the university level, and, and they will. I think they get that thing worked out. I think, to your point, I think he's on the field when uh, the season starts. If I had to make a prediction, I'd say he's back, yes. And I think that's the beauty of that. I mean, that's, that's the development, I think, of Pruitt as a not just a defensive guy or as a coach, but just a, a leader of a program. And Philip Fulmer, them working together. If he messes up off the field, he's not even part of the team anymore. You know, it's the, that door's closed. If he does what he's supposed to do, they welcome him back. And maybe they got another Juwan Jennings on their program. And obviously you want that for the young man to, you know, help his life down the road. But, hell, that's just going to help him in recruiting too if they, if they can essentially rehab Jeremy Banks and give him a second chance and he makes the most of it. Yeah, I'm not here to throw you away, you know. Um, because the easy thing to do with a kid like that is to go, oh, man, just wash your hands of him. Because it isn't like – He's some kind of all-league performer. But to your point, I think he has like an all-league heart, kind of like you were just talking about the outgoing wide receiver, same kind of thing, who when he came back really embraced being a team leader and walks out of here one of the – Juwan Jennings walks out of here one of the most beloved Vols of this generation, and for good reason. and so if I was to make a prediction, I just believe that at the end of the day, you're going to see Banks on, on, the, on the field for the Vols. They're, they're going to try to finesse it. Uh, you'll be sitting there in a late spring day if we all survive coronavirus. Uh, middle of the summer, you're, and you'll be sitting there and you'll go, man, Basilio had something there. They'll, they'll sneak him in there on a Friday afternoon, put a release out, that he's back on the team. I fully expect that to happen. Now, one other possible off-season addition that could be coming, Zach Evans, the five-star running back. Nobody seems to know what in the hell is going on in his recruitment. Do you have any knowledge or insight, or have you heard any whispers of anything? I know now it seems like Florida's picked up some momentum, and now you got Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss there. That's that's always dangerous when they're involved. When Ole Miss is in a re- recruiting battle, you know something could be fishy going on. But any inkling of what Zach Evans may do? It's a complete five-ring circus around him. I was so sorry for that kid because his team of people around him has ensured that no matter what happens with him, uh, that the circus is going to be perpetuated around him. And I just know that. I know Tennessee's still in there. Uh, to what extent, it's probably difficult to say. But I'm expecting the bearded lady to show up, uh, the juggler, uh, 
I mean, this guy, it's a circus around him. And you talk about a guy that's stretching it out and is taking his 15 minutes of fame and turning it into 45 minutes. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. And Tennessee ended up getting this guy, but it reminds me of Bryce Brown's recruitment about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I've got a, a guy that comes on my show once a week with me, and he had a great line. He follows the recruiting game rather closely. And his saying is, goofy recruitment, goofy career. You think about that for a second. Think about guys like him who have these goofy-ass recruitments, these crazy announcements, these silly look-at-me things they do during recruitments. And then you think about the careers they have versus the kids that, you know, have their day, have a press conference, commit and sign with somebody and just kind of have normal recruitments or even understated type recruitments. Those are the kids that go on and have really good careers. It's hard to find a person that has uh, the type of recruitment that this kid has perpetuated on himself and his handlers have perpetuated around him and and show me a great career. Can you think of anybody? No, I mean, usually you're right. You're right. When the circus comes, I mean, it just seems like it's one thing after another once they arrive on campus. Yes. And that's it. And so internally, I just know that Tennessee obviously would take him. He's, he's a great talent. He's a all-world type talent. But so was Bryce Brown. And Bryce Brown did very, very little at the collegiate level. And then he ended up at the, in the NFL. He did very little at the NFL level. And he was a guy with all-world talent who people talk about because he had a goofy recruitment. Last question for you, Tony. If Tennessee is going to take that next step under Jeremy Pruitt, we're still waiting, I think, for that signature victory, the game Tennessee fans are circling at Oklahoma. Florida, Alabama, both at home, and at Georgia. Which of those games is the most winnable, do you think, for Tennessee next season? Boy, that's a great question. Of those four games, simply because I just think Big 12 football is just a different animal. Oklahoma's breaking in a new quarterback. Defensively, they're a borderline joke. At that point in time, if Mays is eligible... Early in the season, they will have essentially a brand-new quarterback, as we just said, uh, a defense that may have a horrendous secondary. I think that is the most gettable of the four marquee signature possibilities for the Vols. Because I, I look at Florida, and though they haven't knocked the doors off recruiting, they still have a tremendous amount of talent, as you know. Mm -hmm. think about Georgia and I just don't think Tennessee's in Georgia's class yet and though Nick Saban though the old boy maybe barely breathing as the old song goes you know the the heart of rock and roll is still beating with him I'm not throwing dirt on his grave yet so I'm going to go with Oklahoma All right, there you have it Tennessee fans get ready for that hype 
week two trip to Oklahoma. Make your way to Norman. Tony Basilio, best shot to win. And, uh, man, the Tennessee hype train is going to be out of control if they win that one. And that's what you love. You know, I, I do my post-game show after every basketball and football game. Mm-hmm. And when Tennessee beat Florida, they came back from a 21-3. to I, I looked it up the other day. We were on for seven and a half hours without taking a commercial. I sit in my studio and take phone call after phone call after phone call, seven and a half hours. Now, what you got to do is, and you're doing that, is you, you wait for a long-winded caller, and then you go take your bathroom break. <laughs> Nobody even knows you're doing it, which I'm sure is TMI in your world. But the point is, the passion here and the folks in Vol Nation are so star- starved and so want to see their team come back to relevance. You know, it's one thing to win seven games or eight games. When you beat one of the big boys and you upset the social order in college football as you do that, um, then you start to become relevant. Tennessee's still not there, but they're scratching their way back to relevance. I think this coach is a pretty damn good coach, if you ask me. Well, there you have it, folks, from Tony Basilio of the Tony Basilio Show, which can be heard once again on WJBE 99.7 FM, 1040 AM weekdays, 11 AM to 1 PM. And after the games, I know he's talked me off the ledge many times. I think my personal favorite was your Greg Schiano day. I think you were on the air for about 20 hours. It was, yeah. <laughs> that's that's why I call you a legend. Not, <laughs> but there that'd be the band, the myth. Right there, Tony Basilio, thank you so much for giving us your time and providing so much insight. I really do appreciate it. I think the listeners are, are going to love this one. Listen, I think the world of you, and I always love any time we can get together. And uh, I count you as a real blessing, man, out on the scene. So keep doing what you're doing, Mike. Absolutely. And anytime you need anything from me, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to help. All right, Shane, so that, that was some outstanding stuff from one of my favorite guys in this media world, Tony Basilio. I thought he really brought it there and uh, as entertaining, as insightful as is always there. Uh, left some nuggets there, particularly about Jeremy Banks and, uh, and everything there. So uh, what was your thoughts on that one? Oh, man, Tony's, I, I, Tony's one of the all-time greatest, man. Uh, especially, he's, he's great when things are great. He's even better when things are bad. You know what I'm saying? It's like when, I mean, Tennessee's been through some dark days and there's nothing like turning on Tony and just sponging it up. Listen to each depressing caller knowing I've been there. I'm there. I know what he's going through. So uh, he's just a good listener, man. Absolutely. And, you know, I've heard a lot of the same things with Jeremy Banks. and I think they're playing that situation perfectly. And, I also agree with him on Jarrett Garantano, particularly going out on the road early in the season against Oklahoma. It seems like, you know, that's the way the Tennessee coaches will probably lean unless uh, one of these other quarterbacks really steps up and sees the job. I'm not saying they can't because what we've seen from Brian Maurer, you know, maybe he's got his, uh, hopefully he's got his concussion issues solved. That may be their guy. I could, If he really wins the job, I could see him taking the reins there on the road in Norman, but I, I guess I'm thinking more Harrison Bailey. I don't know if he would be quite ready to hit the road in such a marquee game week two of the season, but uh, let me ask you that same question that I asked Tony Basilio, Shane. Tennessee, still searching for that signature win, in my opinion, of the Jeremy Pruitt era. 
four key games all Tennessee fans have circled on their calendar. Week two at Oklahoma, week four at home against Florida, uh, later the third Saturday in October, of course, Alabama at home, and then November 14th, first time it's kicked back all the way this late in the season, but uh, the 10th game of the season at Georgia. Which of those four do you, Cousin Shane, think Tennessee is most likely to win in 2020? Mm, besides all of them, I think I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with Oklahoma myself, and and the reason is, if you were to ask an Oklahoma fan about Tennessee football right now, they're probably gonna know the Georgia State game. You know, and in their mind, they're gonna be overlooking this team. And uh, you know, we struggled out of the gates last year. I don't think we do that this year because something you hit on in that interview is uh, the fact that these coordinators are coming back. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. There's there's not a lot of pieces they're they're putting back together. You know they they know what's expected of them. Uh, we've got a lot of returning talent, especially on the offensive line, which I think is absolutely huge. And, and just punch these guys in the mouth, make it a physical game. Uh, Oklahoma is is going to be returning a lot of players, uh, even especially at quarterback and uh, on defense. So I think we take advantage of that. And if we're going to catch somebody off guard, it's going to be them. Mm-hmm. Well, Shane, I, I may surprise you here, but if I'm looking at those four games, mm-hmm. I honestly think the one that will be the most winnable, and it lands on my birthday, Shane, Alabama. <laughs> I think this is the year Tennessee beats Alabama. I really do. Man, that is a, you know, that's an awesome. If you if that happens, do I have to get you anything for your birthday? Because that's like the ultimate prize right there. I just, <laughs> you know what? Yeah, I'll get you something. Uh, I'll get you. I'll get you something nice. Um, I like it. And but what makes you think uh, that this would be the year that Tennessee would have the opportunity? I mean, you're picking from Oklahoma from Florida, from Georgia, you're saying out of those three, four spot would be Alabama. Is it because it's at home? I mean, is that a factor or, or is this late in the season? Something else is going on. What makes you think the third Saturday in October would be the year that we finally get to smoke a cigar? Mm-hmm. Well, I really think um, based on what I've seen that kid from Oklahoma, their new quarterback, I think he's going to be pretty damn good. So that's going to be tough. Georgia at the end of the season at home. That's obviously going to be incredibly, t- you know, difficult. And we got the damn Florida jinx on us. And it seems like Dan Mullen's got Jeremy Pruitt's number. So a combination of those factors. And, you know, go back and watch that Alabama game. Kind of reference it there with Tony Basilio. I really think Jeremy Pruitt outcoached Nick Saban. I'm not trying to sit here and say, you know, I'm not trying to pump up Pruitt too much and say he's better coach than Nick Saban, but hell for that day he was. And not long after that, Alabama, Nick Saban getting outcoached against Ed Orgeron. He badly got outcoached, I thought, by Gus Malzahn. I mean, hell, it cost him the game. He didn't know what he was doing out there with that, that final play, if you remember. So, I don't know. I've just been seeing Nick Saban kind of taking a step back in, in terms of coaching. And I think Alabama's going to be one of those teams that, you know, they're not going to take a huge step back. They got too much talent, but I do think they're going to take a small step back next year. And then Mm -hmm. here's a key for me, and this is something that it's kind of hard to equate, and it it doesn't always work out this way, but 
I've seen it in the past, particularly in the SEC. That game, Shane, remember, we're going back to a season with only one bye week. Mm -hmm. Alabama will have eight games in eight weekends, and that that final one is this Tennessee game, whereas Tennessee will be off the week before this game. They'll have two weeks to prepare for it. So I really think towards, you know, we're talking mid-October here, you got one team with two weeks to prepare, the other team coming off eight consecutive games. That really takes a toll on you. And now that Tennessee Mm -hmm. is, they're not on Alabama's level yet in terms of talent or depth, but they're getting a lot closer, particularly bringing everyone back on both lines of scrimmage. I think Tennessee could have a stronger offensive line than Alabama even next year. I think that could be the difference in this one. Well, not to mention – when they do come back from there, after this game, who's the next team that they play? Are you talking Tennessee or Alabama? Alabama. Uh, after Tennessee, they have a bye, and then they have LSU. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Do you think maybe a little trap game playing too? Just, you know, thinking about the president showing up for that one. and <laughs> You know, he ain't going to be at this Tennessee game, I'll tell you that right now. But <laughs> this could be the one, buddy. Could be the one. I like the way you think. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I like I like both these interviews today. Uh, Tony, again, fantastic follow. If you haven't followed, if you're not following both these guys, you're, you're, you're crazy. These guys got a lot of information on their teams. But uh, the one thing about Tony that that I really liked, that really stood out to me, honestly, just the momentum of this program. The fact that the we ended the season on top of a mountain, man. I mean, compared to where we came from. Mm-hmm. And going into this next season, um, I think that we are going to be better prepared um, I think we we know what we have at quarterback right now. It, are, is Coach happy? No, but I think the leash is a lot shorter too. So if Garantano does mess up, even if it's the opening game against Charlotte, you know, I still think that we're going to get a pull here, that we're going to get some play for some of these younger kids. And you know what? It may be holiday. You know what I'm saying? It may be him that provides the spark. It may be Bailey. It may. I mean, there's just – We don't know what's going to happen, but I think the coach knows exactly what he has with number two, and he's not going to let him, you know, he's not going to let him lose any games. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and how about looking at it this way, Shane? I know we've talked Georgia State to death, but they shouldn't have lost that game. That's ancient history. They gave away the BYU game. What is this offseason like if Tennessee had won 10 games last year, which had they won those two, that's you know, they would have won 10. It would have been a 10-win season. Yeah. I mean, you do that, then people are talking about you in the offseason. There's not a lot of not a Tennessee hype going on right now because of the way right, – If you, I think they're just looking at wins and losses. And like I said, the BYU, the Georgia State game, that's still stuck in their head. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about how we finish the season. So I'm with you. If, if this – if they would have won those games and, and we're sitting there at 10 wins, then people are going to start saying, okay, it's it's Georgia, it's Florida, and Tennessee's right there. You know, he's right on the hills. And if they could beat, if they can get over the Florida Gators, there's a real chance that they could compete for these, that they could be playing in the SEC championship. But we don't have that buzz, which it's okay. But you beat a team like Oklahoma in week two, you're going to have that buzz real quick. Yeah, it's almost like Tennessee fans – that know the program well, they probably don't even want that buzz. You know what? So it may it may have worked <laughs> out perfectly for them. And just like Kentucky, uh, I mean, you got him on talking 
talking about probably going to be in their minds competing for an SEC championship. But who's to say they're not? You know, what they were able to do last year with a wide receiver at quarterback was impressive. Now, I think the defensive hop is the defensive hop's getting a little blown out of proportion, Kentucky. And it's not that they don't have a that they have a bad unit. It's just I think that when you had that type of offense last year with Bowden just just chewing up that clock, I think it statistically is going to make your defense look phenomenal. And I think that's what we had a little bit more of last year. But they are going to be bigger, faster, stronger this season. So who's to say that they can't compete in the East? So I, I think the East is a little bit more open than people are giving it credit for. I, I think, well, let me say this. I say the top is not as high as it used to be. It used to be Alabama. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that gap is getting smaller. And that's why you're seeing games like this South Carolina and Georgia last year. You know what I'm saying? I think we're going to start seeing more of that because the talent gap isn't as wide as it used to be.